Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. If I may, for a few moments here this morning, preach to you from that portion of Scripture, we preach not ourselves. We preach not ourselves. One more time, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Thank Him for His Word. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul stood to speak on Mars Hill, some of the Athenian philosophers voiced the question that I think sometimes people want to ask whenever I get up to preach. What will this babbler say? And there is no better response to their inquiry than with the affirmation of the great apostle as he wrote to the Corinthian church on the second occasion, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It was unique that Paul would say, we preach. It was interesting because his training as a rabbi was in synagogue argumentation rather than in gospel proclamation. His religious preferences had placed a great value on teaching and the interpreting of the Scripture. The philosophers of Greece and of Rome were not preachers, nor were they apocalyptic forecasters, but they were debaters and they were instructionists. In Paul's day, there was a dearth of preaching as it pertained to religion. Among the religions that existed in that day, there was more of a culture of debate and of instruction, of lecture and liturgy that wearied the distracted or the disinterested hearer upon whose ears such indoctrination fell. Most of the people either looked back in the golden age of prophecy, which had ended long ago, or forward to its reviving in the final age to come. But Paul did not define his role from the religious fashions of his time. Instead, he patterned his approach after the one who had called him into the ministry. Jesus, like his forerunner John, arose with a passion in his voice, with a clear and certain sound that 
set him apart from all other religious figures of that day. Matthew tells us that Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No argumentation, no deep debate, no simple interpretation of Scripture, just a passionate proclamation that stirred his hearers to action, a boldness in his voice that made believers out of them. He was a preacher. Jesus was a man with a message and a mission, a man who mastered the exercise of articulation in such a powerful way that the multitudes would hear him and they would proclaim, never a man spake like this man. Now, I'm not against teaching. In fact, we need anointed teachers. As a rabbi, Jesus was considered a master teacher. But first and foremost, he was a preacher. We need, ladies and gentlemen, the ministry of teaching, but we can't be saved without preaching. Preaching is the proclamation of the gospel, and it doesn't have to always be loud, but neither should it ever be lifeless. Amen. Preaching doesn't have to be exuberantly done, but neither should it bore the people to tears. Amen. Preaching motivates, it moves and manipulates the heart into position to respond to the Word of God and to the moving of the Spirit. Teaching informs and equips. Preaching ignites and grips. It gets a hold of a man that can't endure a good lecture. It captivates a man who can't stay with a good speech. And so preaching does for us what no other form of communication can. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching is the only channel and it is the God-preferred method of connecting us and linking us to the message of salvation. The launching of the church on the day of Pentecost was really an explosion of preaching. Before Christianity had any organizations and before it had institutions, even before we had any New Testament writings. Christianity lived and grew by and large because of its preaching. Perhaps the seeds of Paul's salvation were planted deep within his heart as he heard Stephen preach not long before Stephen is stoned to death. And there was something about that message uh, that resonated and resounded within the heart of that man uh, who was so passionate about the Word of God and the things of God, educated a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, a man who could stand toe-to-toe with the deepest philosophers and thinkers of his day. But it was the preaching of a basically uneducated man that got a hold of his heart. Amen. It was preaching that first began to stir the heart of the great apostle Paul. I don't know 
where the Valley of Dry Bones was located. And I cannot with any reasonable amount of certainty tell whose remains they actually were. Were they the skeletal remains of an army that had been defeated in battle? Or did they belong to some traveling tribe upon whom some sickness fell as they wandered through the wilderness to their desired destination? One thing is for certain, men arrive at the graveyard of their hopes by any number of means. And as the man of God stands before this mass of human devastation, he was told to do something that would forever change the course and the condition of that lifeless landscape that loomed before him. He was told to open his mouth and preach. And what happens next is an example of the miracle that I believe preaching produces. Scattered remains scooted from one end of the field to the other to join themselves to other remains of their former self until lying across that valley, the fragmented became whole and the shapeless had taken form. And let me just interject this here. When that valley of dry bones came together, I don't believe that it was a limb from one person that attached itself to the joint of another person. I believe that when the word of God was prophesied, preached over them, that they found their original moorings and identity. And they came together, and what was lifeless and what was shapeless was put back together again because that's what preaching does. It doesn't make you half a person. It doesn't make you this part one thing and that part another. But preaching at its best puts our lives back together again. And then the prophet preached to the wind, and his preaching breathe life into what was once dead. Preaching is transformative. It stirs things up and it changes them. If you've ever left church after hearing a sermon and you were mad, good. If you ever left church and your toes were curled up in your shoes because the man of God had stepped on them so much that night, good. Because it is telling me that the man of God has preached to the need, whether we liked it or not, to work to put things back together again. Now we need, we need doctrinal teaching. But it is preaching that resonates in the realm of the spiritually dead. We need strong apologetics. Our theological stance ought to be supported very well. But what calls sinners out of darkness and what saves men, however foolish it might be, is preaching. Now, the progressive minds of our of our learned generation have belittled the passionate, red-faced, fiery preaching of past generations. Amen. They label any man of God 
that gets a little loud for their taste, that gets a little excited, too excited for their likes, they label him a screamer. And they have forgotten that a genuinely God-called preacher follows in the steps of those many great men before him as the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. That's what John the Baptist was. That's what Jeremiah became when that fire in his bones raged beyond his ability to contain it. We should never discredit the word of God that is spoken in a gentle manner. But we also must value the word that is spoken in boldness. Hey, give me a fired up, red face preacher that gets a little bit loud. I've watched enough church services online to tell you I'd much rather have what I have every Sunday. I'd much rather hear what I hear week in and week out than what some people are having to endure every week in their dead church. Amen. And I don't know, maybe it's the preacher in me but I like to think that it's the saint of God in me. That I would like to see that preaching in this day and age would be exalted to its place of supremacy once again. Oh, that preaching would be granted its primacy one more time. Above everything that we do in the church, may we place the utmost value upon the preaching of the word. Amen. Thank God for programs and thank God for marketing strategies. Amen. Thank God for scheduling and smooth running services. Thank God for great music and singing and all of those things. They're important. But let us never forget that first and foremost, we preach. Come on, somebody. I know this church loves preaching. I know you like good preaching. I'm trying to do my best. I know you like to hear the word of God preached with a passion and with a proclaiming voice. When confronted by that age that had misplaced its priorities and gotten too high on its success in ministry, Paul reminded the Corinthians that preaching at its best always points men to Jesus Christ as Lord. While too many are making a name for themselves by promoting their unique gifting and talent, aligning themselves with political agendas or, or conforming to certain ideological trends, a, a fragmented world lies before us. The bones are dry and scattered, and the only thing that's going to put them back together again is the preaching of the Word of God. The landscape is lifeless, and the only force that's going to renew it is the preaching of the Word of God. The transformation that our world needs isn't going to come through debate and argumentation. Preaching is the only thing that's going to change us from what we are to what we ought to become. 
Hallelujah. So I say, preach to me, preacher. Preach the word to me. Step on my toes if you have to. Make me uncomfortable if you have to. Tell me like it is. Because one thing I know, I want to be saved more than I'm worried about being offended. More than I'm worried about you getting all up in my bubble. More than I'm worried about you getting in my grill. I want to be saved. So preach the word to me. Amen. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Don't tell me what you think I ought to know. Tell me what I have to know. Don't tell me what you think I might, should, maybe do. Tell me what I must do to be saved. Preach the word to me. Amen. I think it's time that we break the silence in the church and start preaching. Only when we break the conspiracy of silence that often ignores the elephant in the room can we weave our woes into wonders, our horrors into hopes, and our separation into solidarity. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? So Paul writes to Timothy and he says, preach Timothy, preach the word. It's the only thing that's going to save men. And so today ought men to follow in the footsteps of those mighty and marvelous men of God and embrace the idea and the practice of preaching. Come on church, how can we sit here silently when sin is shouting so loudly? How can we afford to come in here and fold our arms and say, bless me, preacher, I dare you, when the world is out there working overtime to undermine and destroy every good and godly value that you have ever loved and held on to. Amen. I was preaching a revival many years ago in Athens, Texas, and every time I'd, I'd get wound up, there was an old boy that sat in the back, and he would run all the way up to the front, and he would stand right in front of the pulpit, and he'd look at me, raise his hands, and go, yes! Scared me half to death the first two nights he did it. Amen. I was preaching in another place, and it was a combined service, and I was preaching away about the excellency and the power of the name of Jesus, and as I was getting, every time I'd get close to the edge of the platform, there was a brother that would run up with a handkerchief, and he'd shine my shoes. I preached long enough, I got both of them polished. Oh, Hallelujah. Oh, but we got to be careful. We're live streaming now. We can't get too crazy. We'll wind up on some social media site making fun of us. Well, you know what? Let them make fun. I still believe that he baptized us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the last time I touched the fire, I started moving. A little excitement welled up in my soul. Amen. It wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt for us to get back to that old aisle running, foot stomping, hand clapping, tongue talking response to the preached word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. 
I say, we can't sit idly by while the world tumbles headlong into an abysmal hell. We shouldn't forbear when the world won't shut up. Amen. I said we should be like Jeremiah. We shouldn't say I'm not saying anything else while the world is talking and yapping and, 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 and saying everything it wants to say. We ought to be lifting our voice in a way that the world knows that we are still apostolic and we are still Pentecostal and we still believe in an old-fashioned preaching of the Word of God. It is a mandate from the master that we preach. But our subject matter isn't us. It's him. Paul had many things that he could have preached about himself. His fleshly superiorities were only outmatched by his spiritual success. He had a dramatic conversion. He had gotten tremendous evangelistic results from his revival campaigns, his missionary efforts were unparalleled. His writing skills exceeded other apostles by far. He had been given remarkable mercies, elevated up into the third heaven, and given visions he couldn't even talk about for at least 14 years. I mean, he had been given all kinds of stuff, and any of us could have sat for hours and listened to Paul talk about himself. He had accomplished great things in his ministry. But Paul said, we preach not ourselves. His contemporaries were making quite the name for themselves preaching about themselves. The Judaizers were boasting that the law of the laws they kept, of the circumcision they practiced, and of the festivals that they had observed. And the Gnosticizers were proud of their special knowledge, of how they were superior to ordinary people who attended the synagogue, and of their general standing in the world. And then there was a third group of people made up of the descendants of Jesus who were making a big deal about their participation in his earthly minister ministry and of their foundational status in the life of the church. Everywhere Paul looked, you preachers, you pastors, you know what I'm talking about. Everywhere he looked, there was somebody bragging on themselves. Look what I've done. Look at my ministry. Look at what I've done. He, he, was, he was facing the temptation to outshine every single one of them by preaching about what he had done in his ministry, but he never did. He knew that the central subject of the gospel was not Paul, but Christ. And that's why he tells the Corinthian church to remember how he approached them when he came to them the first time. He said, I didn't come with the excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I came to you determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Preaching works best when it works in spite of not because of the man that delivers the message. Preaching is not a man telling others what he has done for God. 
It's a man telling others what God has done for him. I'm not the one that validates the word. The Spirit does that. It's not up to me to convince you of my powers and my abilities and my talents. It's my job to tell you what God can do. The exercise of preaching should never become mere discourse in theology, but rather a demonstration of how that theology works on our behalf. It is not my informed opinion on spiritual issues. Rather, it is a divine occurrence in which Jesus Christ comes and makes all things new. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of people feel it's irrelevant and they find it unattractive to their more modern senses. Not a few find its imagery repulsive and its expectations offensive and outdated. Some completely deny that the preaching of the gospel has any real validity in an age of technology and science like ours. And Paul faced the same criticism in his day, but still he got up and he said, I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Science might be applied to the saving of the body, but it'll never save the soul. Philosophy may be applied to the redemption of our thoughts, but it can never free the mind from the plague of an imperfect perspective. Earthly things fade. They can only take you so far. They're temporal, but the gospel transcends time. It elevates us into an eternal realm where truth is forever settled, where truth remains the same. Amen. Hear me. What man builds is going to fall apart, but what God does stands forever. Oh, hallelujah. May this pulpit never be reduced to a simple lectern in our minds. May it never be treated as if it were some subordinate stand from which men entertain us and tickle our ears with pretty words and intriguing storylines. If a story's gonna be told, tell me the story of that old rugged cross. Tell me how I was wretched and undone, but Jesus came and turn me around and put my life back together again. Tell me, preacher, how much God has done. If an illustration has to be used to gain the attention of an audience, then use it to draw their attention to the master, not the man. Amen. I know, I understand where you are as a church. I commend you for planning ahead. I commend you for working through transition to move forward in the kingdom of heaven and in this community. I commend you for your selection. I commend you for the confidence that you have placed in Brother Paul and Sister Tara Price. I commend you for that. It is a reflection of your love and your confidence for Brother Richard and Sister Debbie Price. You can say what you want to about that, but this is not nepotism. I have seen too many churches avoid a smooth transition only to crash 
upon the rocks of disappointment because they had to have it their way. And their way wasn't totally God's way. And the people get what the people want. And I commend you for thinking ahead and planning ahead. I mean, after 45 years, you guys deserve a little break. And you deserve a pedestal. And you deserve a place of honor and participation and influence and voice and whatever y'all work the kinks out, whatever. You deserve all of that. And this church deserves a trusted, proven ministry that will carry you on. I could sidestep the thing and I could say many, many things that might otherwise land easily and smoothly. I hope this does, but I'm going to tell you something. The process of transition isn't always easy. And no pastor worth his salt ever attempts to make it without agonizing and worrying about how it's going to affect you. And if it is difficult for you, then it is extremely difficult for him. But thank God you have come together and you are working together and you're moving in the right direction. And look around you today. You are going to be so much more blessed because you followed that pattern of succession and allowed that ministry to continue. Because if you hadn't figured it out yet, he's his own man. And he's his own man. But they are inextricably linked together through DNA, spiritually and physically. And what you're going to see more times than not is, you know what? That reminded me of what Brother Price would have done. That reminded me of what Brother Price would have said. And you're going to be blessed because this ministry doesn't end. It just continues. So... As you fill this pulpit, in the years to come, Brother Paul Price, let me say one thing to you. May your ministry be guided by this one principle of preaching. We preach not ourselves, but Christ. May you never be guided by your own prejudices, preferences, and priorities. But I pray that the word will be a fire in your bones, a brand in your heart and a hot coal upon your lips. May you never back up, backtrack, or sidestep that which is bitter, but feed the flock with understanding that when it gets down in the innermost part of their being, it will become sweet to their soul. Musicians, come, I'm closing. For 45 years, you have preached a word to this church that has caused you, Brother Price, to quake with as much intensity as it was meant to cause us to quake when you preached it. He has never preached a message to you in 45 years that in that office there or at his office at home that God didn't preach it to him. She has never sung one song that ministered to you somewhere sitting alone in a piano room 
that song didn't minister to her. She has never prepared one meal or one banquet, one funeral meal, one reception, and served you food that she would have found unappetizing herself. And if you haven't been to one of her spreads, you, don't, you can't go to heaven until you sit down. They're going to serve cashew chicken at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's hard to get it around the price house these days. That's a little personal inside joke. Unless Rich shows up. Then we get cashew chicken. Or Paul. It's Paul. Forty-five years. He's preached a word to you that has judged him just as severely as it has judged you. Not a few times, but every time he's preached to you, he's preached to himself first. An old preacher once said, I, I am not a diplomat, I'm an ambassador. It's the preacher's job to represent, not appease. And if we fail in that area, we fail in all others. This word can't be silenced. Hey, church. I, look, I confess, I'm not a tithe-paying member. I pay my tithes elsewhere. But I'm an honorary member. I'm the son they keep in the closet. So let me just let me just talk to my family here this morning. You don't want a watered down gospel. You don't want a half-baked sermon. You don't want somebody timid and afraid to tell you, to lead you, to guide you. And for 45 years, you've had a lion in charge. May the cry of this congregation always and ever be, preach the word. Stand with me if you will. God, deliver us from pettiness in the pulpit, from preaching our personal agenda, from trying to establish our own personal truth. Help us, God, to preach the Word. If a man stays in the Word, you'll never have to worry about his subject matter. Because the written word is one with the living word. If you stay in the word, you can't help but preach Jesus. Because he is there cover to cover. And oh, how difficult. If you think it's easy to preach such an ancient concept to such a modern world, maybe we should schedule you for next Sunday. In a world divided by racial, political, cultural lines, 
There's only one thing that's going to bring men together. That's Jesus. He is the climax of human history, the clue to all our hopes, and the comfort of all our human hurts. He's the answer to all of life's questions, the solution for every problem, the compass for every lost traveler. He's the lifter of the fallen, the healer of the wounded, the mender of the broken, the restorer of the ruined. Oh, tell your story. Use personal examples, but only that it might bring glory to Christ. Give our testimonies, yes, but only so we can persuade others of the grace and the mercy of God. Let us preach, but not ourselves. Jesus, as Lord. Hallelujah. I wonder if you would lift your hands with me all over this building. I wonder if you would commit yourself to the preaching of the Word of God, your love for it, your response to it, your passion for it. I wonder if you would commit yourself to what thus saith the Lord. And as a church, as a saint of God, may it always and ever be about Him and not about me. We preach not ourselves, but Christ is Lord. Come on, magnify Him right now, would you? Thank you, Brother Price, for 45 wonderful years. However many more years God allows you to fill this role, we support, we love, we follow, we look up to your example and Sister Price. We love you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for never making it about yourselves, but always pointing us to Him. Hallelujah. God bless you.
out to him and love him right now. Jesus, I praise you. I praise you. We magnify you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus.